Well, last week, for part of my sermon, I, I mentioned the, this plague that I think we've all experienced, this fake news plague, where you, you go on Facebook to learn a little bit about some loved ones or some old classmate, and you get sucked into some article about how awful the world is, and you can't get out of it. And your whole day is ruined because you're just reflecting on how awful everything is. You've been there, right? I heard good news this week. And I don't just mean the good news of the resurrection. I mean, I heard a good, real news. There was this story in the news that is worth retelling. John Sato, a 95-year-old World War II veteran from New Zealand, heard about a march that was going on to support the victims of the Christchurch mosque attack from several weeks ago and decided he wanted to be a part of this march. And so the 95-year-old took four separate buses to get to Auckland, New Zealand, to walk with them. When asked why he made it, he said, I thought it was so sad. You could feel the suffering of the people. And so an image emerged this week of Sado walking in the march, accompanied on one side by a police officer, and on the other by the actor Bruce Hopkins. And I felt good ever since I read this story. I think I was drawn to it just because of the way in which it speaks to our humanity. You see, Sato saw something and was moved by it and decided that he needed to respond. There was no question about whether or not it was the right thing to do or if he could make it or anything else. He felt the urge of love that pushes us beyond our own categories, beyond our own sense of who is and isn't part of God's community and decided to act, and to go be a support to the Muslim members of New Zealand, to show them that he loved them, and he wanted them to feel supported. There's just something deeply human about allowing ourselves to be moved into action. In fact, in the New Testament, the Greek word that is used for compassion, as in when Jesus shows compassion on somebody, actually has the root of a word that means your gut. As in, to feel compassion is to feel your insides turn a little bit. Literally being moved to action. And so this week, we are going to begin several weeks on the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells the story of the church trying to figure it out. And what we, what we will begin to hear is that those who originally followed Jesus were less concerned with establishing their own religion, with its own rules and regulations and lists of people who were in and out. But instead, they were more concerned with following the way of Jesus and with embodying, in the same way that Jesus had, humanity. Jesus calls us to be more human, the kind of people who are moved to action because we see a connection with others who may not be like us, but who we are moved to support. So with that in mind, I invite you to hear our reading from the fifth chapter of Acts. Well, when they had brought them, they had them stand before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, what gave, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. 
But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed, by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so in the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. May God bless this reading. So the book of Acts tells the story of the apostles trying to figure out how to be church following Jesus' ascension. Uh, my New Testament professor, Amy Jo Levine, used to say that she was pretty sure that Acts was written as a comedy. You're supposed to laugh during it, which might still be true of the church. We all, as humans, stumble through community together, often making mistakes, and hopefully laughing at ourselves a little bit along the way instead of fuming over that thing that person said. But we would be mistaken if we took the book of Acts as telling the story of creating a new religious group. As though God were calling into existence a new religious sect alongside others. For the work of God and Jesus is so much bigger than that. Perhaps this is part of the humorous nature of the church, what makes it funny. By all accounts, Jesus did not come to start a new religion, but to bring about a new way to be human, one rooted in a love that extends beyond whatever particular identity we have and sees all people as part of God's creation. And we have turned that into a church. And so in our passage for today, the apostles stand before a council of high priests in Jerusalem. These high priests are deeply invested in the status quo. They're deeply invested in the way things are. This is in part because of the fact that they get to be in control of the temple life. You see, the way that the Roman Empire worked was they would go into a place, conquer a people, and they would strip them of all the things that made them who they were, including religious identity. And so Rome would remove your religious customs and replace them with Roman customs. You would replace worship of your god with Caesar, the god of Rome. But what ends up happening is that after many times over several centuries of trying to get Israel to switch religions and failing, the empire gave up. The empire said, fine, you can keep your God, Yahweh. We're tired of having this fight. And so within Rome, where everyone worshipped the same God, Caesar, there was one exception, the Jews. And so these religious leaders know that under the current system, they are allowed to maintain some level of their own authority. And they are not about to let the followers of Jesus mess it up. For the message of Jesus is subversive. It's meant to question this whole system. You see, calling Jesus Lord was a direct challenge to the main claim of Rome, which was, Caesar is Lord. In this way, the preaching in Acts is meant to challenge the order of things. 
It is meant to challenge the very order that the members of this council want to maintain. This is why the chief priest accuses them. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. We told you to keep it down. Do you remember Palm Sunday a few weeks ago where the religious leaders say, please keep your parade down. You might notify the Romans. And so there are a couple ways you can read this passage, right? You can read this as these council priests not wanting to be blamed for Jesus' death. We don't want his blood on us. But you also could read this in a different way. We don't want you to provoke Rome. That was the main reason that led to Jesus' death. They both don't want Jesus' death blamed on them, but they also don't want to die like he died. They want everything to remain the same. Indeed, in Jesus, the apostles see something new happening. They see in the Roman system with its hierarchies and power a system that does not promote love and mercy and kindness and compassion. And therefore, they see it as not the kingdom of God. And because it is not the kingdom of God, it must be challenged. And so what they are doing in preaching this message on the steps in the streets is a direct challenge to the status quo, to the way things are, by proclaiming a message in direct contradiction to the powers of the world. Jesus is Lord. This message is a challenge to human authority itself to both the religious and political authorities. And so it is clear that the disciples are not trying to start a new religion. They don't want to replace the temple system with their own rules and regulations. They're not looking to get seats on the council. They're not trying to step in the place of these religious leaders. Rather, they are trying to challenge the system itself. Human authority with its divisions and its hierarchies is not the kingdom of God. The disciples aren't concerned with carving out their own place. Rather, they are concerned with proclaiming the good news that a new world is upon us. And in doing so, they are erasing the divisions and the hierarchies that divide people. Following Jesus doesn't mean creating one more separation in the world between Christians and non-Christians. It means beginning the process by which those separations disappear and we all become more human together. And so all of this makes you wonder how those of us who have followed the legacy of these early disciples came to form what is, for all intents and purposes, a religion. We have cathedrals and liturgies and rules and I had a robe on earlier this morning. I mean, from the outside, we are a religion. The Franciscan brother Richard Rohr thinks that this has to do with the human inability to hold together paradox. He says that God is, after all, wholly transcendent, other, greater than, more than we can even begin to comprehend 
And God became human, finite, like us. And we can't quite hold these two ideas together. Rohr has written that we worshipped Jesus instead of following him on his same path. We made Jesus into a mere religion instead of a journey towards union with God and everything else. The shift made us into a religion of belonging and believing instead of a religion of transformation. And the early founders of our denomination spoke about this as well. Uh, the founders of the disciples wanted the church to return to an Acts church, to literally go back to the book of Acts and do things the way they did back then. And in the same way, they saw Jesus instituting not a new religion, but a path to follow. And there's an early disciples document written by Barton Stone and others that is called The Last Will and Testament of the Springfield Presbytery. The Springfield Presbytery was the body in Kentucky to which these people belonged. It was their denomination affiliation, and they decided that it was no longer serving the purpose of God. And so they wrote, we will that this body die, be dissolved, and sink into union with the body of Christ at large, for there is but one body and one spirit, even as we are called in one hope of our calling. And so do you see in both of these instances, the call is not to create new churches or dogmas or doctrines or religious trappings, but rather the call is to be transformed by the presence of Christ. To become more in union, not with a particular religious identity, but with the cosmic presence of Christ, which is in and through all things. And so in this way, following Christ, it's not about how to become a better Christian. It's about how to become a more loving, merciful, compassionate human. It's not a call to draw a new line or to create a new box or to foster a new division but it is the thing that calls us beyond all divisions. It is the thing which calls us to die to our old selves, including our religious selves, and to be born into the new creation that Christ is bringing about, in which there will no longer be slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek. So Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to call us back to our humanity. And of course, we have become a religion. Let's not try to pretend otherwise. But don't feel too bad about it. Better people than us have started on the path following Christ and started a religion. We're just a long line of people. But as a church, we are confronted with that call once again, that, that call which comes from Jesus are we about right religious identity? About being the best Christians? Or are we about following the path of Jesus? This doesn't mean abandoning church. By no means am I calling to abandon church. But it does mean challenging our thinking about what the church is for. Going to church, being present here Sunday morning, does not make us followers of Christ. Being loving, compassionate, merciful, showing kindness, those things make us followers of Christ. 
And so the value of this church or of any church is how it helps us to do those things. Our time here together needs to help people grow in compassion and mercy and love. It needs to help us see others as children of God, perhaps especially those who are different than us. It needs to be breaking down and challenging all of the human authorities that separate people, dehumanize others, and hurt others. And so for me, this was what was so powerful about the story of John Sato this week, this New Zealand World War II veteran. You know, I don't know what religion he practices. I don't know what he identifies with. I know that he is of Scottish and Japanese descent. He was one of two uh, people of Japanese descent who fought in the army in New Zealand during World War II. He might be Shinto or Buddhist or Scottish Presbyterian or an atheist for all I know. But what I do know is that what he did in traveling to be part of the march in support of his neighbors, even those who were different than him for the sake of love, is of Christ. We can draw the boundaries wherever we like and say this is or this isn't the path that Christ calls us to. This person is or isn't because of who they are on that path. But in showing compassion and mercy and kindness in being human enough to be moved by the suffering of others to action, that is the path of Christ. For Christ calls us to a love that extends beyond the boundaries of human authority beyond whatever categories we have drawn, whatever boxes that we have put people in, Christ calls us to move beyond those. For Christ calls us to love. Amen.